We're going to read God's Word. Mandy Walker is going to come and read to us from Matthew chapter 3. John the Baptist prepares the way. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt round his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The Baptism of Jesus Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Sometimes we don't, we miss a lot of what the New Testament is saying because we don't know our Old Testament well enough. And so hopefully that as we journey through Matthew's Gospel, that we get a chance just to see that those foundational texts which are assumed as we read the New Testament. And one of these is the words of Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 5. Written to people in their brokenness and in their exile and in the, in the world that has gone against them. These are words of hope that God gives to the prophet Isaiah in the 8th century BC. Comfort, comfort my people says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the desert prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. 
for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Before we come to pray, we want to take a moment to pray again. Also want to announce to the congregation the death of Mary Wilson of Camborne Park and her funeral service will be tomorrow at 11am in McMullen's funeral home followed by burial in Connor Cemetery in Kells. And to her children Jacqueline, James and Carl, we offer our support as a church community at this time of loss. Let us pray. Father, we still our hearts. Because you are here, this is holy ground. It's, the, it's, the, it's not the church that makes it a holy place. It's we, your people, called by you to worship and follow you. We are a holy people. And therefore, Lord, we meet in a holy place because of the gathering that we are. We are set apart to worship you. We've set this time apart on this Sunday to worship you. And so, Lord, glorify your name with your presence with us and amongst us today, just as you have been lifting our hearts through these words and these readings. We pray also, Lord, that as we reflect on the truth of who you are, at the beginning of this year, you may speak to every one of us here of the God that you are for us, and your love for us, and the hope that you bring to every life. We take a moment, Lord, to acknowledge in this journey of life there are those who are going through bereavement. We pray for the Wilson family and to Jacqueline, James and Carl that as we meet tomorrow to pay tribute to their mother, we pray, Lord, that you would be with them, that you would give them comfort in their loss and declare your love as we offer worship to you. We pray, Lord, for all of us. There's so much in our news that, that is part of this broken, sinful, evil world. We pray for healing. We pray for peace. We pray for protection, Lord. We pray for those in authority um, over us in, in our government. We pray that you would lead them in these years ahead, this year ahead, but more than anything else, Lord, we pray for us as a church here in Balamone. May we be people so caught up with joy to you that we will attract others to follow you, to rejoice in you, and to have the confidence of putting their trust in you in this uncertain world. Let our love shine forth as we live less for ourselves and more for others but more than anything else, for you. Lord, may this service continue as your spirit comes, that as we receive your word to our hearts and as we celebrate Jesus, for we pray in his name. Amen. Are you aware? I'm so blessed to have the Reverend Jim as part of this congregation, and I know how many of you appreciate him. And maybe you don't tell him enough, I don't know, but I certainly I appreciate him and I appreciated him last week as I sat with my family and his ministry to us last Sunday. But as we read our Bibles from last Sunday to this Sunday, over 30 years have passed. It's a year in our life, it's seven days in our 
our week, but it's 30 years from what we thought about last week to what we read about today. But as we come to think about it, it's not just about John the Baptist preparing the way. It's also, as I think about that you would meet the Lord in 2020. And we're going to look at Isaiah 40 and then Matthew chapter 3. And the same three points will come from both these chapters. Isaiah 40 is a word of comfort that is given to these people in distress, to fill them with hope. Maybe you didn't realize it, but that you started off this life with very little hope. Rockify baby on the treetop. When the wind blows, the cradle will rock. When the boy breaks, the cradle will fall and down will come. Baby cradle and all, or is it cra- cradle baby and all? So, as a child, how is a child supposed to find help, hope in that nursery rhyme? You're going to fall at some point in your life. The world's going to break at some stage. At some point, your world will come crashing down. So be prepared for it. Or what's one of the first prayers that we would teach our children before they went to sleep? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. If you want to add a little bit else that you might have said to your children, the night sleep tight, don't let the bed bugs bite. And if they bite, squeeze them tight and they won't bite another night. And then you say to them, and have a good night's sleep. (laughs) Most of us didn't start off life with hope. We were sent to bed with a nice book, with a cup of milk or a cup of water, an unhealthy fear of a world that's out to get us. You're going to fall, and maybe of your potential demise. We live in a world that ever since we have been children has told us we live in an uncertain world that lacks hope. You can't be sure what's coming. So be prepared for it. And yet God has come into our world to give us hope. When we talk about biblical hope, we're talking about certainty. We're not talking about wishful thinking. It's a confident hope that we have. And that confidence is more sure and steadfast than anything else because of Jesus coming. And so therefore, we come in a few weeks' time to the Sermon on the Mount. Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, it's like a wise man who's built his house on rock, that when the storms of life come, he will stand firm. Jesus has come to make our lives stand firm, no matter what is ahead of us. The Christian message, the gospel, is a message because of Jesus that is rooted in hope. And so the lullaby that we really need to be singing to our children, if we're parents, is the song of hope of Christ, of confidence in an eternity with him, of his presence right now, of the stories about his forgiveness, of the songs of wonder of Jesus' birth, life, death, resurrection, and coming triumph. You never hear anyone on their deathbed say, I wish I had hoped in something other than God. I wish I had trusted Christ less and relied more on my own strength. You'll never hear that. It's always the opposite. He's the one I should have trusted more. I wish I had lived more in the light of his hope. And so parents, unless the hope of God is in you, your children will never acquire it from you. And for everyone here, unless the hope of God is in us, 
We will live a life determined by circumstances. And if you live a life determined by circumstances, it's a most anxious way to live your life. But if our hope and certainty of our life is rooted in God, we can handle whatever circumstances throw at us. Because our life is not defined by the circumstances. Our life is defined about the God who is there, who has come into our world, about what he is doing and will do until the day when all things will be made new. And so he is a God who's continually spoken to people and saying, take it easy, be comforted, let me tell you about what I'm doing. And so in Isaiah 40, this word of comfort to God's people. And where does the comfort come? There's a voice of one calling In the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Who is coming? The King is coming. The Lord himself is coming. Town criers, centuries ago, would have gone through the town, ringing their bear, hear ye, hear ye. And then people would have gathered so that he gets as many people together. So he only has to say the announcement uh, once. And so he goes, we hear you, hear you, and people would, would know there's some news that's coming. And then the town crier would get his position, and then he would give the announcement or, or the news of whatever he has been, his job is to, to, to tell people about. A new king is born. The taxes are going up. Uh, a battle has been won. He would pass on the news. In the ancient world, every town had its town crier. The one who announced Uh, who had the role of announcing important news. So here is God's crier. He's a voice of one calling. Where is he calling? He's in the desert. Um, I'm going to think about the desert next week. And so I'll leave that thought. It's very important because the first place that Jesus goes after his baptism here is he goes into the desert. He begins his ministry in the desert. So have a think about what the significance of the desert is uh, for next Sunday. But here's this one calling in the desert. What's he calling? Prepare the way of the Lord. The king is coming. What do we need to do? We need to get ready. What's the king in coming to do? Make straight wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made ro- low the rough. Ground shall be made level, and the rugged places a plain. When eastern monarchs were travelling through their kingdom, they sent men ahead of them to prepare the road that they were travelling on, to fill in the potholes, to remove the stones, to level the rough places, to clear up the rubbish and the, the litter, and generally making the road pleasant and easy for the distinguished guests to uh, travel along. When the queen came to Malawi many, many years ago, they tarmacked the road all the way from the airport, all the way into the city. A bit like the distance from Belfast International Airport down into Belfast. All the other roads were full of potholes, and if they were tarmacked or they weren't, it was really, but that was the most beautiful road that was in all Malawi. Because the queen was coming. This is something greater than the queen. The king of the universe is coming. And it's not just little holes that we've filled in. The valleys will be leveled. The valleys will be raised up. The mountains will be leveled. Because in the ancient world, how much of your journey is held up when you have got to go over a mountain peak or down into your valley? Everything is being made easy. The highway is being prepared for the king of the world that is coming. So what do we need to do? We need to get the road ready. We need to prepare the way. 
We need to roll out the red carpet. And this person who's coming doesn't just stop traffic, just doesn't get a new coat of tarmac on the road. He's bringing down mountains, he's rising up valleys. What is that about? Depression being relieved, pride being flattened, alienation being turned into friendship, lostness being turned into fondness, guilt being replaced with forgiveness. Get ready for the Lord's coming, because this is what he's going to do. Every valley shall be lifted up. It will be lifted. Every mountain will be laid low. It will be humbled, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. God's going to accomplish this, so get ready for his coming. Why is he coming in Isaiah 40? To reveal his glory, verse 5. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. The glory is his Not just his power, but his great love, his grace, his presence, his goodness. It's everything that is good about the God of the universe. His glory, his goodness, his love will be revealed, not just to individuals, but to the whole earth. Every valley, every mountain will see and know the glory of the Lord. Then we come to Matthew 3. A lot of things have happened from the 8th century when Isaiah wrote these words to the time of Matthew. Uh, Not just that they were longing for this day um, when the Lord would come, but Isaiah 64, the cry, Lord, rend the heavens now and come down uh, from us. The end of Malachi, Behold, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. So they kept saying, God's going to come. My messenger's going to come. The one who will be the voice is going to come. 800 years have passed. Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. There are two pages between Malachi and Matthew, but there are 400 years there. 400 years of silence. Malachi is the last prophet. God seems to have stopped speaking. When are you going to come? And then 800 years after Isaiah, 400 years after Malachi, here is this man out in the Judean desert. And what's he saying? Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. In fact, the axe is already at the root of the trees. The day of the Lord, the king's coming, is almost here. So get your hearts ready. Get your lives ready. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Who is coming in Matthew 3? The Lord is coming, and John the Baptist is saying in fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah, I'm telling you, I've been told to start telling you, it's almost here. How do you get ready in Matthew 3? Get ready by repenting, for the kingdom of God is very near. Repentance is one of those words that we not quite sure if people really understand what it means. It's not about how you feel. It's not a feelings word. Oh, I feel sorry for what I've done wrong. I repent of it. Repentance is an action word. Um, it's a change of direction in your life. When you repent, you're no longer going this way, but that you're going God's way. You turn your life around. It's not just about feeling sorry. It's about turning your life around and choosing to go in a different direction. It's also a location word about where you find yourself. If I say to you, uh, and you're in Belfast, tell you to come to Ballamoney, 
I don't really need to say, you know, you have to leave Belfast, by the way, if you want to come to Balamoni. The implication is there that to come to Balamoni, you must leave Belfast. You've got to make a choice about where you want to live. And if you choose not to come to Balamoni, then you choose to stay in Belfast. Repentance is like that. When you repent, you are saying, I can no longer live there, but I'm choosing to live in this realm. I'm choosing to leave my life of sin and self-life, and I'm going to live in God's goodness and God's life. And therefore, when John the Baptist says, repent for the kingdom of God is near, he also says in verse 8, produce fruit in keeping with your repentance, because you're no longer living there, you're now living in this realm, and if you're living in this realm, produce the fruit in keeping with this new location and this new direction of your life. What that fruit means, we will discover as we go through Matthew. Because that righteous life and the fruit-bearing life will be explained in the Sermon on the Mount and another teaching by Jesus. But here is, this is what it's all about. And we'll learn as you read through Matthew's Gospel and to the first readers, what does that fruit entail? And he's baptizing people. And John's baptism is, is not the same meaning as Jesus' baptism. And John's baptism is not the first time we read about John. Baptism actually comes from Judaism. You can't become a Jew you can only be born a Jew. So if a Gentile believes in the God of Jews, believes in the Lord who made the heavens and the earth, and he wants to follow the Jewish way, he can't become a Jew. He becomes a God-fearer or a proselyte. And so how this Gentile, this Greek, or this Roman, or whoever you were, and you want to follow God's ways in Judaism, you went through a rite of baptism, of being uh, baptized. And so John takes this Jewish religious right for Gentiles and he's asking Jews to be baptized because he's saying it doesn't matter who's, if you're say I'm a, a child of Abraham it doesn't matter if you're born a Jew it's about your heart and so from God's perspective unless you repent you are, you are like Gentiles spiritually like Gentiles even if you're born Jew so John's repentance John's baptism is an outward sign of the heart condition that these people have chosen to go uh, to take a step in by repenting and get preparing their hearts for God's coming the Messiah's coming why is he coming in Matthew 3 yes he is coming to reveal his glory but to some his glory will be judgment and to others his glory will be his presence of his spirit so verse 11 I baptize you with water for repentance but after me, John the Baptist says, One will come who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus' coming is not to baptize people with Holy Spirit and fire, but for some they will experience his coming as a baptism in the Holy Spirit, and for others they will experience it as a, a baptism with fire, which is judgment. And we know that there's two separate things because in verse 12, John the Baptist goes on, his winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So he's telling us these are two separate things. Everybody will see his glory, but to some they will experience that glorious judgment and fire and burning up with like chaff that's, that's useless. And other people will experience it as a baptism in the Holy Spirit of, of the recreation of the life-giving presence of God. 
There are some who are listening to John the Baptist and they are not willing to repent. Sadducees and Pharisees are mentioned for the first time here. In fact, John calls them a brood of vipers. It doesn't strike us as a particularly offensive term, but in the ancient world, some vipers were believed to eat their way out of, the, of, of their mother from inside. Uh, and killing a mother or father was the most hideous crime conceivable in the ancient world. And to then to be called not just a viper, but to a viper's child was even worse. And so it's a kind of reprehensible term um, of, of somebody, of, 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 a, of a terrible act being uh, children of vipers, a brood of vipers. And the Sadducees and the Pharisees, he calls them this terrible term because they are there to stand back and to hear him, but they are unwilling to repent in their hearts and to prepare for Jesus coming. And all through Jesus' ministry, the Sadducees and the Pharisees will be against him and condemn him and ultimately will crucify him. For some his glory, the God's coming in glory will be judgment, but for others it will be hope, goodness, and life. John the Baptist, don't know whether he would fit into our, our modern churches if somebody like John the Baptist was preaching down the road. He's wearing camel's hair and a camel and a leather belt. He's symbolically putting on the garb of Elijah. There was a prophecy that in the last days, before the, Elijah would come back. And so he's claiming, and Elijah also preached in the desert. So by his dress, he's telling people, I... And that Elijah that was prophesied. But we also read that he, he ate um, locusts and wild honey. Well, there's a lot of edible things you could eat in the desert. Lots of creepy crawlies that Jews were allowed to eat that weren't considered unclean. So why specifically mention locusts and wild honey? Because eating locusts, he is fulfilling the prophecy of Joel too. That in the last days, God would pour out his spirit, all peoples. But before that would happen, God promises that I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. You, you will have plenty to eat until you are full. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God. So do not be afraid. The pastures of the wilderness are becoming green. So by eating locusts, John the Baptist is visibly, symbolically declaring that the Messiah is coming and those locusts, Years that the, the years that the locusts have, have ravaged and taken from our lives in famine, I'm eating the locusts, I'm removing them from the land because God is going to bless this land again. What about honey? The children of Israel were promised that the promised land would be a land flowing with milk and honey. And so two symbolic things that meant so much to Jewish ears, the locusts and the honey, this is what he's living on. Because God's new world is coming. His promises are coming true. The day of the Lord is coming. The King is coming. It's just around the corner. So get ready for His coming. Prepare your hearts because that new world is coming. Repent if you wish to experience His coming as goodness and life and spirit. And if you don't, you're going to experience it as judgment of God. And then one day in His preaching, as people are being baptized and they're repenting and they're preparing their hearts... For the Messiah is coming. Over the hill, John the Baptist looks up and he sees Jesus coming. And Jesus comes down to him and says, I want to be baptized by you. And John the Baptist says, I'm sorry, you this is a baptism for repentance, to prepare your hearts. You are the Messiah. You are sinless. 
It's I need to be baptized by you, not the other way around. But Jesus says we must do this to fulfill all righteousness. And we understand that, that Jesus is identifying not only with John the Baptist's ministry as the one who was preparing the way for the Messiah, and now Jesus will carry on and start his Messiah work, but also he's identifying with us as sinful, broken human beings. Jesus comes to where we are. Though he did not need uh, to be baptized for repentance, he is baptized and symbolically he's identified with our brokenness. He is baptized by the prophet. But from heaven's point of view, this is his anointing as the king. Heaven opens. The spirit descends on the dove and the father speaks. When the heavens opened, it was a sign of revelation coming down from God. And remember the, the cry of Isaiah 64, Lord, rend the heavens and come down. Come down into our world. And so the heavens are opened. The Spirit descends. Remember, John the Baptist, one who's coming after me is more mighty than I, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit descends. The, the Spirit era is beginning upon the Messiah. The Messiah will be the Spirit bearer, God's presence bearer to all the world. And from that point, wherever Jesus goes, he brings the healing, comforting, loving presence of God. So the Messianic era begins, and then you hear the Father speaks from heaven. There's only three times in the whole of the New Testament the Father speaks, and every time it's about who Jesus is. And what does the Father say? He uses the words of Psalm chapter 2, you are my son. That's the coronation psalm of the, the king in Israel. And so this is a coronation. This is Jesus' kingship beginning, his, his, his ministry of kingly work beginning. And Isaiah 42, my chosen one in whom I delight, which was also used at the enthronement of a king. So this is, from our point of view, it's Jesus' baptism, but from heaven's point of view, this is anointing as the promised king to begin his kingly work of bringing in God's kingdom and that realm of peace and healing and God's fatherly love for those who want to repent and be included in it. Time is gone, but some of these things will, will come to us in the future. Can I just share with you three things to take with you in this year ahead that come from this text? We want to exalt King Jesus because only as you exalt Jesus in your life will you know his presence and help in this year ahead. To exalt Jesus must, means you must embrace humility. And there is no more a humble person than John the Baptist. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come more powerful than I whose sandals I am not even fit to carry. When the disciples followed a master, they would do everything for the teacher, but the only thing they would not do is anything concerned with his feet. Because the per when you dealt with a person's feet, that's not the job of a free person, that's the job of a slave. And so carrying sandals, taking sandals off, buckling up sandals, washing feet, servants did that. And John the Baptist says, he is so great that I'm not even worthy to do the servant's job of carrying his sandals. That's who I am in comparison to the, this great one that is coming. And maybe that's why Jesus said, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist realized more than anyone else who great, how great Jesus is. Exalt Jesus in this year ahead and by embracing humility of who you are before him. But as you humble yourself, 
you know how great he is for you. God looks for a humble heart. Secondly, live in hope. Jesus is the one who repays you for the years that the locusts have taken from your life. What are those locust years? You know them. The situations, people, circumstances, choices that you made, bad choices or just circumstances that happened to you and you lost those years. Those years were ravaged in your life and you can't, you can't get them back again. But you look back and sometimes you think, if only I had done that, then my life would have been differently. But God is the healer who sends Jesus, comes to repay you, to bless you for the years that the locusts have taken from your life. So what are those locusts in your life? Jesus is the one who repays you. And John the Baptist eats locusts to fulfill Joel 2 by saying that the one who is coming is in the business of healing those parts of our lives that we'd rather forget about. So there's healing here. So may you in this year ahead know this promise to be true as God and Jesus through faith in him repays you for those locust years that they've been taken. And finally, living in new life. So much in this passage, but one final thing. When Jesus is baptized, the spirit descends as a dove. Where else do you read about a dove in the Bible? It's after judgment, a flood. God judges the world in a flood and Noah and his family are in the ark. And then Noah puts out a dove. And the dove brings back a leaf. A sign of new life coming. Seven days later, Noah sends out the dove again and it never returns. Because, it, because the dove has found a new world. It's found a new place to live, a new home to live, a new life to start again after the judgment of the flood. And so when the, dove, the Spirit comes as a dove, it's a symbol of new life coming for those who follow Jesus and put their trust in him. So in 2020, as we exalt Jesus, embrace humility, live in the hope of that he brings to your lives in this year ahead, live in the new life that his presence will bring. And maybe as we journey through Matthew, we will start to experience what, how, do, how do we live in that? What does it mean to have faith um, and, and trust in him? We're going to celebrate communion because ultimately Jesus came not just to preach about the kingdom of God, but to demonstrate its coming by his death on the cross. That that last great enemy uh, of, of this life has been broken. And that how much he loves us has been truly revealed, the fact that he would give his own life for us. And so all spiritual journeys of healing that you need in your life, and of restoration, and of the hope that you need in your life, must come first before the cross of Jesus. That as you stand at the foot and look at the one who died in your place, and as you acknowledge that he died in your place, then with that acknowledgement, you repent, you turn away, and you follow him. You journey on a life of healing, restoration, and hope in this year ahead. So how appropriate that we begin this Sunday with the year ahead by coming to the cross and acknowledging the great love of Jesus for us as we remember his death on the cross.